Good day, my friends. Well, I can finally relax as the voting by the judges for the 2021 People's Choice Podcast Awards has been completed. Now the votes are being totaled and the results will be telecast on Thursday, September 30th, which is International Podcast Day. So if you want to chuckle... You can watch me lose for the fourth year in a row. Actually, I'm kidding because I might win this year. One never knows. The podcast awards will be telecast on Thursday, September 30th at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, 6 o'clock p.m. West Coast Time, and I will let you know where you can see the award show as soon as it's announced. But, but, in the meantime, my 2021 sweeps period continues with a few more episodes. Now, in today's show, I have a very special episode introducing you to the creator of the first drag super Shiro. Now, this is my first episode interviewing someone who is actively involved in the drag culture, and he takes that association one step further by creating an unforgettable animated drag superhero known as a drag super shiro. A little bit about my guest. Creator, director, and executive producer Anthony Hand is a product designer and former entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, where he puts his storytelling skills to use on a daily basis. Anthony has seen every season of RuPaul's Drag Race since season one. He frequents local and national theater and cabaret and is a recovering comic book geek. Anthony is also president of the board for the Silicon Valley Gay Men's Chorus. Seattle drag legend Dina Martina is his spirit totem. The title of today's episode is Interview Anthony Hand Maxi Loao Drag Super Shiro. I am Joey Hernandez. Thank you everyone for joining me today. AdamMail.com has partnered with an older gay guy show to bring you the finest in all things sexual. From condoms and lube to provocative sexual toys for solo use or use with a partner or partners. AdamMail.com has everything you could ever imagine or need to spice up your sexual enjoyment. And as a listener of this show, AdamMail.com is offering you a very special deal. You can get 50% off almost any one item, and that includes free U.S. shipping right to your door. Go to AdamMail.com, check out their amazing inventory, and once you've made your selection, use the discount code of AOGGS, which, of course, stands for an older gay guy show, at checkout to get your special 
savings. An older gay guy show does receive a small compensation when you use the AOGGS code. And I thank you for supporting an older gay guy show through your purchases. AdamMail.com has got you covered. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find all the best shows under the rainbow at Pride48.com. And now, gentlemen and ladies, without any further ado, please give it up for Anthony Hand. Okay, so welcome, Anthony. It is so great to have you on the show. I really appreciate you coming on today. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to connect with you today and uh, also your audience. Thank you. Our pleasure, believe me. So I was contacted by your uh, PR team and it was just the perfect time. So that's uh, how they connected me. And so I'm just going to ask you please to tell us about this, this baby that you are creating. Sure. So I am making the first animated feature film about a drag superhero and it is called Maxi Luau Drag Super Shiro. This film tells the story of Simon, a shy young barista who finds a magic wig that turns him to the titular drag superhero, Maxi Luau. Now, we also have a drag villain, and her name is Dinabolical. And Dinabolical has discovered that drag queen tears have magical anti-aging properties. So she's been kidnapping queens all around town and forcing them to watch the saddest movie ever made, Beaches 2, harvest their tears, and, and launch a new cosmetics line. <laughs> and now she's after Maxi and her superpowered tears to go global and become filthy rich. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Maxi, wow, that's amazing. Beaches 2. Oh, yes. Please. Although I will say that this is, um, I mean, that's a good summary, but, you know, at the end of the day, this is a, um, a coming of age story that I think is universally relatable. Uh, so Simon, he finds this magic wig on his 21st birthday. He's been living at home with his mother while his um, high school friends have all gone off to college or all gone off to the service or whatever the case is. And so he's kind of stuck in a rut. He doesn't really know what he wants to do in life, where he wants to go in life. And he's just kind of not been working at figuring it out, but he has potential. And, uh, and so that's what this wig, because the wig kind of chooses him. Uh, that's what the wig sees inside of him also. And so Maxi represents all that he has the potential to be uh, and, and will be perhaps someday if, if he kind of works at it. So, and so that's kind of like the heart of what this story is, is this coming of age story that I think that we can all relate to. And I understand that the, this past horrible year of 2020, there was a certain amount of inspiration that came about through that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I had the story of Simon uh, starting in 2019, but it was kind of, you know how these ideas kind of sit in your head for a while before they really gel. And then in January of 2020, uh, not to get too graphic, but I suffered a detached retina in my left eye. And I was 
uh, I had two emergency surgeries and I was on my face or on my side watching TV for uh, almost and out of work for almost a month. And so specifically what I, one of those surgeries required that I be face down in a massage chair for a week and not move from that position as much as possible. So I put my little iPad there and I watched a ton of Netflix and Hulu and everything else. And, you know, I kind of ran out of fun stuff to watch um, that I f- was really in the mood for. And, you know, I, uh, I love movies. I love watching TV too. And I totally binged on Schitt's Creek, of course. Uh, but I ran out of like really fun stories to fit my mood. You know, there are tons of great stories about coming out and a lot of them are kind of serious and uh, most of them are kind of serious. <laughs> and there are only so many times you can watch Love, Simon, which is a totally charming um, high school coming of age film. Uh, or, you know, there are so many uh, films about, for example, the AIDS crisis and again, wonderful, wonderful movies, but at the same time, they were kind of heavy for where I was at that time. So I resolved to figure out how to bring Maxi to the silver screen. And uh, a few a few months later, it finally occurred to me the kind of plot point for who the villain would be, Dynabolical, and what she was trying to do, launch a cosmetics company based on you know the tears of drag queens. And it's just got the right amount of camp and humor and heart, I feel like. So I, I found a script writing partner in San Francisco. I live about an hour south of San Francisco in San Jose. Uh, and Michael Phyllis is a an actor and a director. He's done his own films. And he's also a part-time drag queen whose name is Patty from HR. And she's hilarious. Uh, and Patty, uh, Michael rather, Michael is such a talented uh, writer. So I was really, we had a very collaborative uh, writing relationship last summer. And I'm glad I took that chance because uh, once we had the script in place, I'm like, this is, this is awesome. We definitely need to see this come to light. So I started working with a character designer in San Francisco also, whose day job is with a gaming company. And uh, Johnny Burgess is his name. And uh, Johnny Burgess has also done illustrations of uh, drag queens in San Francisco, sort of well-known ones like Heclina or Dicey Drollinger or Peaches Christ, as well as uh, folks who come to town to work on various shows like Trixie Mattel and um, Bob the Drag Queen, for example. And so I knew that I had the right uh, partner there on the sort of creating the look and feel of Maxi World. Uh, and he also has a wonderful sense of fashion. So I'm glad to say that this this sort of Maxi World Look and feel also is very fashionable as well as uh, campy and bright and fun. And then recently, this spring in uh, 2020, I'm sorry, 2021, I uh, started looking around for an animation partner and found a little uh, company overseas that was able to do this two-minute adventure reel. So I paid for this with my own money, uh, but I wanted to take that story of um, Maxi Luau and boil it down to two minutes a little bit of the origin and a little bit of fun scenes from the current production and also some scenes from potential future storylines because I want folks to see that Maxi World is a a rich uh, world that has a lot of storylines that would be really fun to tell and really fun to watch. So, uh, yeah, and coming back here to the fall now, uh, we are launching 
a fundraising campaign on Indiegogo to help us fund the pre-production costs of the animated uh, feature film. You know, you were kind enough to allow me to watch your reel just a few moments ago. And, and I have to tell the listeners that this is such a fun, uplifting, uh, beautifully, beautifully animated. Uh, and you can really, you can really tell what the characters could be by just looking at them. And, and I have every belief that you're really going to create some incredible stories from, from that. Um, it's wonderful that you were able to take the tragedy of the world of 2020 and your own personal tragedy of that year to uh, to really have made it, you were able to immerse yourself in what's going to end up changing your life big time in a very positive way. From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> uh, but thank you for that because, you know, in times of, um, in times of crisis, like, you know, the end of the Trump era and and then, the, you know, COVID, this is when we can see so much art kind of flourish and, and come out of it, you know, a good, a good thing for sure for coming out of this, these kinds of tragedies. It's, uh, it's good that you didn't just bake sour bread like the rest of the world did. <laughs> Who can find the yeast? <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. So, t so tell me, Anthony, why do you think it has taken so long for a drag superhero film to be created? That's a great question. And I think part of it is, um, you know, as we, we think about Hollywood in general and Hollywood's approach to telling stories with LGBTQ characters, which is not great, not a great history of that, uh, let alone having LGBTQ uh, people in the lead role. And that's an even worse track record. Uh, to be perfectly honest. And GLAAD, um, G-L-A-A-D, I forget what the acronym means now, but um, GLAAD ha monitors the, you know, the portrayal of LGBTQ folks uh, and stories in media. And the, the year 2020 was another dismal year, let's just say that. And uh, but looking historically, we see that a lot of independent films have come up uh, that have been fantastic with LGBTQ storylines. And there have been a few bigger films as well from Hollywood, very few, like In-N-Out, for example, was fantastic, or um, Tu Wong Fu, I think was, um, I don't think that was an independent film, and that was also a, a really good movie. Um, and so in the post-Will and Grace era, Will and Grace, post-Ellen DeGeneres coming out around 2000, uh, and then with RuPaul's Drag Race in like 2009, um, you know, one built upon the other. And with RuPaul's Drag Race becoming so big, I mean, that first season was so modest. I think it was a $25,000 prize for the winner. Uh, and I bet they scraped it together. God bless them. Uh, but now, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race has launched all these overseas editions as well in the UK and Holland and Spain and Australia. It's pretty amazing. Uh, and so now there are these other sh shows uh, that are launching with drag um, drag themes, kind of like there, you'll see a lot of reality shows that feature drag queens in kind of a queer eye for the straight guy kind of way where they do some um, transformations of either LGBTQ folks or um, straight folks. Like I saw there's one on HBO and I think I saw that one where they were doing a wedding, uh, a straight couple getting married. And of course I was bawling my way through, especially when the, when the fiance comes out in drag. I mean, like how freaking cool is that? 
it was really more about making over the wife, uh, the bride, but um, it was such a good story. Anyways, and so I think we're at this era, thanks to RuPaul kind of unlocking this door, where we, in, in this acronym, LGBTQ+, um, most, sto- most films have really been about the L and the G, about lesbians and gays, uh, and not always, but predominantly more like cis white women and cis white males. And now I feel like, thanks to RuPaul and some other um, other things going on, perhaps in our culture, we're starting to see stories that go beyond just those two letters. And so now we're seeing more stories with trans folks, and more, and we need to see more too, uh, and more stories with drag queens who are not trans people, um, but aren't strictly you know, are, are kind of like another kind of level also um, in, in that sort of spectrum. Uh, and a few years ago, we saw a drag queen superhero uh, in a couple of comic books from Marvel. Uh, we also saw, and again, drag queens and trans people are not the same, but we saw a trans uh, character in Supergirl on TV, freaking amazing, with Nicole Maines. Wow. Um, yeah, and then... T- Three years ago, I think on Netflix, we saw this animated series called uh, Super Drags from a small gay-owned Brazilian studio of all places. And uh, it's a very adult-oriented <laughs> cartoon on mm. Netflix. Uh, and it's kind of fun. Uh, they, you know, it's kind of like Charlie's Angels meets Sailor Moon meets RuPaul's Drag Race. So it's quite a combination. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, that sounds and- really good. Yeah. Yeah, and so Max Illawau, we really owe a debt of gratitude to you know these kinds of efforts that have come before us, uh, and then now um, in September of 2021, we see Q Force on Netflix, which is kind of like a, a, I would say a gay James Bond, but it's like that gay James Bond plus his team of LGBTQ um, agents. So, and that's also very empowering and, and a fun a fun show. You know, um, sometimes being an older gay person and my doing my show uh, primarily for older gay men. Uh, there's sometimes uh, language that's used with the younger generations that we aren't quite up on. And mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, LGBTQ plus even confuses some guys or cis white confuses some guys. Oh, right. Yeah. Could could you just talk about the difference between drag queen, transvestite, and transsexual? Those are great questions. And um, I would say that this has been a journey of learning for myself, and I have a, a lot more to learn as well. Uh, and I'll do my best, but there's probably going to be someone who's be like, you know, it's not quite right. And, you know, that's okay. <laughs> but I'll do my best. And first of all, with cis white, uh, well, cis in general, C-I-S, this word uh, is really referring to your birth gender. So I am a cis white male, which means I was born male and I, uh, yeah, about being kind of born male. And um, and my gender identity is actually uh, male and my pronouns are he, him, and although I answered hey girl also. <laughs> 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 um, and then this idea of, um, let's see here, so transvestite versus drag versus transsexual. So uh, transvestite is, um, and I hope I get this sort of generally uh, in the ballpark, is generally a a person who normally identifies as male. And we see a lot of um, 
straight men who are transvestites in particular, uh, where a trans uh, transvestite is a, is a man who likes to wear women's clothing sometimes, uh, whether for personal enjoyment or also in um, some sort of sexual activity. And this is, has no this has no bearing on who they want to date or who they are married to or anything else. This is just about um, you know let's say a, a straight. Uh, male who likes to wear gender nonconforming clothing. And that might mean panties, it might mean a bra, it might mean a dress, it might mean whatever, who knows, uh, but for personal enjoyment. And again, they might be happily married to a woman and never fool around with a guy. It's just, it is about that kind of like clothing part of it. And and then also how it works their identity, who knows. I'm sorry, let me just interrupt that for a second. So is it always going to be assigned to straight people? Is it possible that a gay man could be a transvestite, but not a drag queen? Yeah, I, I, I imagine so. I, I think part of it um, goes to purpose and identity. So a person who, like, a, let's say a, uh, a cis male, so uh, male at birth, uh, puts on uh, gender nonconforming clothing, and then goes out to a club and uh, uh, entertains. And so that person, we would say, is a drag uh, entertainer. Or, or a cis woman who puts on gender nonconforming like male types of clothing and maybe does makeup and a fake mustache or whatever, uh, and then goes onto the stage and performs as a kind of drag entertainer. You know, and that's a drag king. And so, um, yeah, so that's kind of like about the entertainment aspect of it. Um, and then the complexity of this all is how this sort of uh, purpose and identity kind of all feed into each other in a kind of spectrum. So it's not exactly like box A, box B, box C. It's just kind of like, you know, a large room and you can be anywhere in that room that you want to be or and it doesn't even have to be a room. Anyways, and then um, a transsexual is a person who maybe was born male, but always felt like a woman inside uh, and may have some expression of that maybe. And, and again, it's a big old spectrum. So it could be they're wearing um, women's clothing, or it could also be that they um, have go a little further along uh, the journey towards some operations and, you know, taking hormones and so on or, and, and living every day as, as a woman. And then the same for transmasculine folks. So, um, and hopefully I'm in the ballpark of descriptions and didn't slaughter this too much. But so a person that um, identifies as female but does not have surgeries can still be transsexual. The, 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 oh, the absolutely. Mm -hmm. Surgery does not a transsexual make necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I don't know if this was correct or not, but I remember years ago in, in bars, I used to go to a, a leather bar quite a bit, and I would hear from my friends that came in from dance clubs with me that had never been in that kind of environment before. They would refer at times to the guys that dress in leather all the time as in that's their drag, or a guy <laughs> yes. that dresses in military clothes, that's their drag. So... Is that correct? It's 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 just portraying something other than what your day to day identity is. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, you know, um, I think when we say drag, we generally talk about people who put on gender nonconforming clothing and then 
or maybe not just gender nonconforming, but kind of like a costume that elevates whatever that gender is. Uh, so maybe they're, and nowadays we'll find more trans folks also, um, let's say trans feminine going on a uh, stage as a drag queen, we'll see women like born women, cis women uh, putting on elaborate clothing and makeup uh, and going on stage as, as a, as a cis female drag queen. Uh, so, and, and also drag Kings, same thing. So, you know, drag, when we think about drag is really, um, we're probably more talking about that entertainment or that art form. Uh, and, but when we, we also make these jokes about, um, like you just said, like leather being a drag too. And I think that it's, it's okay to say that too, because in gender, in general, um, drag in a way is, is, uh, how you present in the world in the moment. And, you know, uh, putting on leather, it's kind of a costume. It's kind of a, it's kind of an elevated masculinity. Uh, definitely you know, yes you don't normally go shopping at the supermarket like that so you know and there's a whole kind of language and there's a whole kind of culture around just leather um and so yeah yeah it, it's kind of funny to say that but it kind of it really kind of works too i had a friend that uh, also would go to to leather bars and he always said that he felt uh, rejected a lot by the the gay leather community, the people that were really into leather, wearing leather all the time, because, um, and it, it I don't think it applies anymore, but he, he used to say that, you know, he loved Broadway musicals, and for him to bring up that subject in a gay masculine leather bar, he felt kind of shunned because of that. So, Wearing the clothing, he, he felt you had to kind of conform to fit what the other people dressing that way would expect you to be. I would think that would be the case with drag as well, um, that at times a, a person that is maybe just starting that part of their life um maybe they're not fully accepted by the drag community because they are not uh, quite into it correctly or enough oh that's interesting well uh yeah i i'm not a drag entertainer so i can't necessarily uh comment on that too deeply but i would say that um you know it's common in the drag world for a new drag performer to find a more uh like veteran performer to be their drag mother or drag father and uh in other words it's almost like a journeyman or like a journey person kind of um relationship where they learn the ropes uh, of, of drag and how to, you know, they learn how to move, uh, in a way that's more authentic and, uh, they learn how to dance. They learn how to like come up with ideas for shows. They learn how to paint their faces and how to come up with costumes and so on. So yeah, it sounds, I mean, from what I've heard of, of these kinds of relationship, it sounds quite intense. I mean, there's a lot to learn to be a good entertainer. So God bless them. <laughs> it's a lot of work. One of my favorite films is To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, and uh, <laughs> known as To Wong Fu. And you have seen that film, yes? Oh, multiple times, yes. And could I ask you what your impressions were? Because I remember specifically at the time hearing from people that were in the drag community or just gay performers in general that they totally dismissed the film because yeah. theoretically in air quotes the three guys in there were heterosexual yeah. and 
What did you think of the film in, in that respect? All right. So, you know, uh, that film was a product of its time. And uh, it w- had the unfortunate timing of coming out shortly after, like a year, I think, after um, after Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. You know, Priscilla, yes. Queen of the Desert from Australia was a film written by queer people and, and for an LGBTQ audience. So, and then Tu Wong Fu felt a little bit more like a Hollywood interpretation of LGBT, mm-hmm. of an LGBTQ storyline. And they cast, I think, almost entirely straight people as, uh, as, as actors in that film. And so, like, so you here you have a really authentically queer kind of movie in Priscilla, and then you have a, a little bit of artifice around Tu Wong Fu. And so you can imagine that it, it, it was well-liked and well-received for many reasons, but at the same time, it felt a little bit less authentic. Uh, but over the years, honestly, and honestly, when I, I'm an old gay, I came out in the 80s. Uh, and I, I'll be honest, I was not fond of Tu Wong Fu when it came out either. I was a Priscilla person, you know, for many, many years. But I saw it again recently. And, um, you know, thinking in this sort of pre-Will and Grace, pre-Ellen DeGeneres coming out on TV kind of time period, uh, it really was quite, um, quite groundbreaking because... It was an attempt from Hollywood to tell an LGBTQ storyline and, and really focus on acceptance in a way that was entertaining and, um, and campy and just fun. And so even though Patrick Swayze, all three of those guys, you know, they don't, they don't make convincing gay people. They're very clearly straight people who are attempting to pretend to be gay uh, and attempting to be drag on top of that. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it, I think it came from a good place and, and it's still entertaining. I saw it again a couple of years ago and I just, I enjoyed it this last time, last couple of times I've seen it actually. I think, uh, out of the three, John Leguizamo did the best portrayal. Uh, oh, I agree. And I yeah. believe he's done that though, in like one man shows and stuff. He's, he's done different skits where, he at times wasn't just a straight white male. So do you think that a movie like Tu Wong Fu, specifically using A or B list straight actors could be made today? Well, you know, in this, in the, in the current era, we see a lot more calls by, by traditionally marginalized communities to cast actors in a more authentic way. Uh, and this is like the hashtags, uh, hashtag Oscar so white, you know, kind of era. Yes, mm-hmm. and so you know, we 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 see white people still being cast occasionally for like a leading Chinese, um, you know, mystical kind of role. Like, what's what's up with that? And so many other examples too, where white people are being cast for Asian roles or black roles or whatever, uh, and it and then straight people being cast for gay roles. So. Um, this in general, I'm not too cool with it, but that being said, if you've seen the movie, um, what was it? Was it supernova with uh, Stanley Tucci? And, um, I forget the name of his husband now for some reason, uh, who were played an elderly gay couple with one of them coming down with, uh, Alzheimer's. I mean, Stanley Tucci is wonderful. He's played, yeah, yeah, he's, it's a beautiful movie. Um, and very sad, but really beautiful. Uh, and he plays 
he's a straight man playing a gay role. But Stanley Tucci, he gets an honorable mention. I mean, he gets a pass because we just love him so much. <laughs> uh, but in general, I, I, yeah, yeah. But in general, I, I personally would prefer to see gay LGBTQ actors in LGBTQ roles. You know, I just, it just, I mean, even seeing uh, Darren, this is going to be controversial and hopefully I won't get any hate mail for this, but Darren Chris is amazing and a wonderful actor, but he's still straight. And I saw him in uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch in San Francisco, San Francisco. He was amazing, amazing, but there was still a little something that in his, in his performance, I'm like, oh, that's, that's a straight man playing a gay, a gay role. Right. You could just, right. you could just kind of tell him something, something very subtle that I can't describe. Yeah, um, yeah. In the original, in the regular movie version that most of us have seen, um, yeah, I would have a hard time putting him in that. But um, well, it's good that they did it. You know, yeah. I, currently, you know, I am kind of a soap opera person, and I grew up uh, watching Days of Our Lives in General Hospital, <laughs> and they both now have LGBTQ characters. However, all there's a couple on each show and they're played by straight guys really general hospital has put one big step forward however in that they had a character that was a high school friend of one of the main characters come onto the show and when she opened the door expecting her guy friend uh it was a woman and this this is um, an actual transsexual woman uh, who is now a regular player on the show. She's on it at least once a week in some capacity. Wow. And I, I think that's a big, huge step forward. Uh, Absolutely. That. Yeah. Yeah. That's to be celebrated for sure. Growing up, were you a kid that was very much into comic books and superheroes? I was. I loved comic books, and I I was a nerd. And I, well, I read I read Hardy Boys, and I started reading fantasy novels at a very young age, uh, and comic books, of course. In high school, I spent way too much money on comic books. There was this one cigar shop. I grew up in a small farming community, by the way, of six hundred people, and oh my, my parents were factory workers, and we had a little tiny farm with cows, pigs, and chickens, and the whole. Bullshit, oh shit. <laughs> the whole the whole nine yards. Anyways, and so in the neighboring town, uh, neighboring city, there was a little cigar shop that had always had freshly popped popcorn and cigars and comic books. And so I would go there and spend all my money on comic books from there. Uh, and, you know, it had a particular kind of scent walking into that store. When I think of Challoners, which is sadly long gone now, uh, I just, you know, get this kind of nostalgic uh, feeling. And in high school, I was on our school newspaper uh, staff, and I had a column called Murgatroyd the Super Chicken, and all the characters are named after breeds of chicken. So, you know, the boy <laughs> in a small farming community, you know, for sure there, but it was fun. <laughs> what were your favorite comic books? I was more of a Marvel guy, and uh, in the 80s is when they launched uh, Spider-Man with that black costume. So I loved the black costume, actually. And, uh, you know, originally Marvel, I think, was trying to rebrand Spider-Man with that black costume, uh, but the uh, fandom hated it. And that's why they came up with this whole storyline that, oh, that's actually an alien. And <laughs> now we have Venom. 
you know, I know Spider-Man, I've seen the black uniform. I had no idea what that necessarily meant. Didn't they also at one point, um, might have been before your time, but kill off Superman or something. Yes. There was another Superman that was dressed com in different colors completely. And I remember everybody that I knew, all the kids being very confused, not even understanding what the hell was going on. Yes. You know, and then things get, then they try to back out of it with, Oh, multiverse stories and time travel stories. And it's like, Oh man, <laughs> I do remember vaguely along those lines too. So, and so tell me your relationship with the drag community. I know you're very much in favor of supporting local drag artists. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that and what the preservation of that art form means to you. Oh, wonderful. So, you know, I think there's, I, I don't know why, but I, I mean, I, and I think it's wonderful. I think there's this flowering of drag uh, in America and around the world. And, Maybe it's folks exploring alter egos, uh, but it, it goes beyond uh, gay men and lesbians. You know, there are so many folks across the LGBTQ spectrum, as well as, um, I don't know how many straight men are doing drag, but I know uh, multiple women who are doing drag also, and I think they're straight or sometimes in the gender spectrum, like as queer or um, gender non-binary. Anyways, one of the top, along those themes, one of the top uh, drag performers in the San Francisco Bay Area is a uh, gender nonconforming uh, cis black woman, uh, Kai Kai B. Michaels, and she is so talented. Oh, my God. And she recently moved from South Bay up to San Francisco to uh, uh, perform. And uh, in South Bay specifically, we have this... Uh, uh, this uh, friend of mine who goes by the name of Woo Woo Monroe. And Woo Woo Monroe was actually the drag mother for uh, one queen who was on RuPaul's Drag Race recently named Rakam Sakura. And so it was what a great honor to have, um, you know, your drag daughter on uh, such a global platform as RuPaul's Drag Race. And Woo Woo hosts, uh, well, pre-COVID, she was hosting a, every two weeks a show called uh, Circus, Woo Woo Circus, at a dive bar in San Jose. And we only have three bars left, uh, sadly. Uh, but this bar is like a total dive bar and all are welcome. And that show is probably the most popular event uh, at the bar in any given week. And it's been a great showcase for uh, drag talent in South Bay and around the Bay Area and even to Sacramento and LA. Queens will come up for the show there. Uh, and so we've seen, I think, a lot more queens starting to merge in South Bay. One of my favorite, favorite local performers is Alpha Andromeda. And she performed at my 50th birthday party two years ago. Oh, so talented. I think she'll be on RuPaul's Drag Race soon. Uh, and yeah, so all around the Bay Area, we just see this beautiful flowering of drag and all flavors of drag and uh, and drag kings also uh, starting to become more prominent in the Bay Area. And, and I think this is kind of reflective of what's happening in the, in the broader world. And what's the definition of a drag king? Well, uh, definition, definitions are tough, but, <laughs> you know, yeah. So a drag king is generally speaking someone who maybe was uh, uh, born uh, female and who 
uh, puts on masculine attire or projects masculine masculinity in kind of an elevated way. Uh, and they'll often paint their face with, uh, uh, with facial hair and, um, you know, sort of what's it called when you put your breasts down a little bit? Uh, so that they can have a flatter uh, chest. You mean like taping them down? Yes. Uh, yeah, that's all I'd ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I can't believe I can't think of that word, but, uh, you know, um, yeah. And so present the kind of masculine image. And just like drag queens, it's an elevated form of masculinity. And and because, and drag, you know, by, by definition is kind of political because it plays with masculinity and it often has, it doesn't always have to, but often has some sort of, uh, you know, poking provocation towards politics or provocation towards culture. Uh, and so when you have a woman uh, dressing as a man and doing, uh, doing a performance like a rap kind of a rap kind of performance, and you've got like dollars floating on, on a woman as if the, the woman there was a hooker too, was a hooker, for example, like in some of these rap videos, uh, then that, that tells you know, that's, that's really provocative about what it says about how uh, men and women in our culture relate. So, yeah, I think it's fascinating. And that's one reason why I love drag. You know, I have probably spent hours upon hours of my life down in Provincetown yes. cruising lesbians that are dressed as men that I think are just the most adorable young guy I've ever seen. Oh my God. And I yes. follow them around all night and then, oh my God, it's a woman. So cute. Yeah. And tell me a little bit, I know you're, you're uh, affiliated with PayPal's global pride committee. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Sure. Sure. So like many employers, um, I work at PayPal and we have uh, employee resource groups for kind of like, kind of like uh, birds of a feather kinds of groups to support uh, women or black and African-American employees or Latinx employees and another um, handful of groups plus pride. Uh, and I personally lead our local Bay area pride chapter. Um, PayPal is, is headquartered in San Jose, about an hour south of, of San Francisco. And so I organize activities um, of interest to our local group. And, and now in COVID, uh, each of the Pride chapters around the world um, will organize activities like a drag show, virtual drag show, or drag queen story time, or uh, let's say there's like a cooking or cocktail making or you know, lots of fun activities. And recently, one of my current projects is um, organizing uh, another talk on um, empowering the LGBTQ community uh, financially. And so one of our financial benefits partners will be coming in and talking about some of the systemic issues that hold LGBTQ folks back financially and some of these cultural headwinds and how to kind of work to overcome them by saving and investing uh, in 401k, for example, or or in a brokerage, as well as, you know, yeah, investing in real estate or whatever. So just kind of talking about this and thinking about our own personal needs to, to get ahead. That is fantastic. Just the fact that these, you know, these large companies like PayPal, obviously, that they are addressing these issues, that they are uh, reaching out and educating employees about things. And I think that's the way the world has slowly been changing. Mm -hmm. I, I think I got to give I got to give PayPal a lot of credit for that. Yeah, it's a great company. Let me ask you: the animation people kind of like have their own community, 
And certainly the drag people have their own community, although it's, you know, open doors on all of these things. Mm -hmm. But do they, uh, do they have things in common, do you think, that, that, uh, that we might not see ourselves necessarily? That's a great question. So when I think about the appeal of Maxi Luau, uh, this animated feature film, I think of it as really appearing, appealing to four kinds of fandoms. Uh, one is folks who like LGBTQ stories. Um, another fandom is anyone who likes superheroes. Another fandom is anyone who likes animation. Uh, and then another that fourth fandom is this emerging fandom around drag. And, you know, LGBTQ fandom is, is pretty diverse as far as gender and race and everything. But when I think of animation and um, superheroes, I probably think that those fandoms skew a little bit towards male. Uh, and, and there are tons of, of LGBTQ folks who love animation and love superheroes. So I won't say that they don't have significant um, queer representation uh, at least. But when we think about drag and this, this emerging fandom around drag, I think that we have a, a much larger than you would expect component of straight women who love drag. And uh, I think I've seen some articles in the press that indicate that at least half of viewership of of RuPaul's Drag Race is women. And then uh, thinking about my own experiences going to drag shows, there is a large percentage of straight women who come to drag shows. And these are not just, you know, um, hen's night parties before, you know, bridal, you know, shower parties, whatever, before a woman gets married. This is just like friends just getting together, like, let's go see a drag show. It's fun. And it's a great space for it. Uh, and so I really see that component too, as being, um, probably underappreciated in some sense. And, and I, from kind of a, a secret agenda kind of perspective, you know, I love the idea of, of straight women in the suburbs watching RuPaul's Drag Race with their husbands and boyfriends and families, which I hear happens quite frequently. Uh, and then, you know, bringing these folks together and growing our, our allyship, you know, growing those folks who, who are straight and, and who can appreciate their um, LGBTQ um, siblings and parents and children and friends and coworkers, you know, uh, that's, that's part of how we grow this allyship, I think, and change minds. Yeah, that's wonderful. So tell me what your time frame is on this film. You've got your reel currently done that you invested your own money in. Where do you go from here? And when would the film be finished? And how would the film get out to people? That's a great question. So uh, we are launching our Indiegogo here in September of 2021. And along with this, we're also launching our pre-production uh, with our animated studio in, uh, in Los Angeles. It's called Chubby Beagle Productions. Husband and wife team, they both love drag. And I'm so thrilled to be working with them and their colleagues uh, on, this, on this animated film. Uh, we're also uh, casting, so that's happening now as well. And we anticipate this animation process. We're doing this in, in 2D. Um, so the artists are doing, God bless them, 24 frames a second. Um, yeah. So this is a little time consuming, but I tell you, it's going to be so beautiful. Uh, like you saw in the adventure reel. 
So I'm really excited about where it's coming and where it's going. We anticipate being complete with production by November, December of 2023. So about two years. And then we'll do the uh, film festival um, circuit for a while. Uh, And then we anticipate at this point in time launching into theaters summer, fall of 2024. Uh, It depends on how we work things out with the distribution partner when it comes to that. So yeah, sign up for Indiegogo and we'll, you know, you'll get, or on our VIP list on our website uh, at maxi.com, M-A-X-X-I-E.com, and you'll be up on, on what's going on. So are you looking for investors into this film? Yes, absolutely. So animation is really expensive, but um, I'm so excited that that the community will come out for this film. I fully anticipate that the community will. Uh, and thank God, you know, we have these four fandoms from which to draw to draw fans and build a community around this film. Uh, and it's super important, too, that we do bring folks out to support this film because, you know, Hollywood doesn't do a great job about telling stories about LGBTQ folks with, you know, with a sense of agency where that LGBTQ person is the hero or is explicitly the villain and not like a coded form of an LGBTQ person. Uh, and so, you know, but th- the more we have people come out and support this project, then the more we'll be able to do um, in the future. So I really hope that we'll be able to put out an animated series after this. And if not an animated series, then we'll, we'll do another couple of movies and with the, with the Maxi World. Taking place inside of Maxi World and it'll be a lot of fun. Does your fundraising that you're about to launch uh, next week, September 15th, I believe, do you have different tiers of where people can invest in other words yes uh is there a certain level where they can have a producer credit in the credits uh exec producer um and any titles or in the film credits at all yes so we have tiers starting at 25 dollars up to ten thousand dollars so <laughs> wherever you are in your generosity um there is a tier for you for sure uh and if someone wants to um, get involved at a higher level than $10,000, and they're certainly welcome to contact me also. Um, but with regards to the Indiegogo part, um, these different perks are include things like virtual wallpapers. They include uh, special thanks in the credits. Um, some of the tiers include a virtual like digital rental, and some would be a digital download or access to the video on demand at any time kind of thing. Uh, all the way up to the very generous levels would also include um, things like access to our uh, private cast and crew screening, as well as um, a swag bag, or at very high levels, then also a, a producer credit. That's fantastic. It's always great to have those kinds of incentives for people that always like imagined themselves being involved in the film industry somehow, but they just never knew what to do this way here. They can give of themselves and they can actually, you know, receive uh, things to doing with the movie as well as potential credits in the movie. If their investments enough, I think, I think that's a wonderful way to do it. And on that topic real quick, I, um, I personally, I know this drag queen in San Francisco. Her name is Darcy Drollinger and she's owner of the Oasis SF sort of nightclub and cabaret space. And that's where I go and see shows all the time. I just saw Jackie Cox there the other night and she was fantastic. Uh, And so Darcy has a movie coming out this fall called shit and champagne. 
And it's a really fun 70s sexploitation inspired show with drag queens and drag kings and other like crazy folks in there. Alaska Thunderfuck makes a, makes a, an appearance as well. Uh, and so I uh, was encouraged to do the Maxi Luau production uh, by having a small um, part in supporting uh, that film. And so I have a producer credit on that film also. Uh, and so Darcy has been a wonderful source of support and inspiration. And she's an associate producer on the Maxi Luau uh, project as well. And so this is, this is great. And I have another friend named Robbie uh, Kendall, who has a project coming out soon called Drag Queens Must Die. And he's starting with a 12-minute short. <laughs> I'm going to a, a friends and family screening of that this week. Uh, and then that launches out to film festivals uh, this fall sometime too. Uh, so yeah, you know, there's a great flowering of um, drag-inspired uh, film and uh, more coming out now, which is really exciting to be a part of. So I think I mentioned already, please support our film. And, uh, you know, if you are able to, please make a donation. Uh, but otherwise, please tell your friends. Um, tell your friends about it. Tell a dozen friends, tell a hundred friends. Word of mouth does a lot of amazing things. Absolutely. So if the listeners would like to reach you, can you kind of give me a rundown of your social media? Sure. So the best way to start is at our website, maxi.com, M-A-X-X-I-E.com. And there you'll find links to our all of our social media, so Instagram and Facebook. And those are both Maxi Lawow, so M-A-X-X-I-E-L-A-W-O-W. But just go to maxi.com and you'll see the link to Instagram and Facebook. You'll also see our our uh, email there and you'll see information about casting. So if you're a, a SAG Screen Actors Guild actor, then <laughs> reach out to me too. Uh, and yeah, please support our film and sign up for our VIP list there, which is our infrequent, maybe monthly newsletter. Now you were kind enough to uh, give me a, a link to your reel, which was not public. Is there going to be a way that uh, the listeners could possibly see that reel in the near future? Yes. Yes. So I expect to be publishing the reel this week sometime, a little bit in advance of our uh, Indiegogo campaign. So go to maxi.com, M-A-X-X-I-E.com, and you'll see the link to watch the video. Uh, and we'll have a page or we'll have a link to uh, YouTube there. Fantastic. This this was so much fun. You are so eloquent and so knowledgeable. I really appreciate that because I was certainly coming from a point of view of having no idea about this. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you. <laughs> Could I ask you to come back on the show maybe in a few months after you're along a little further and the fundraising is underway and maybe at that time we can give it a little boost also again? Oh my gosh, yeah. I would love to come back anytime. This has been so much fun, Joey. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Anthony. I really appreciate you coming on on a holiday, especially. And uh, I'll be in touch very soon. Wonderful. Well, I will keep popping back on your uh, podcast also. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joey. Have a great week. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was a ton of fun for me. And I have to tell you that I obviously was coming at this without having any knowledge in the art of drag. And I thank Anthony very much for enlightening me 
and possibly you on this subject, and I can't wait to see his final film. Be sure to check out his Indiegogo fundraising page for those who wish to contribute to the creation of this fantastic idea. And remember, you, yes, you, could be a producer on this film should you desire. Use the link down in the show notes and check out the tiers of possibilities on the Indiegogo page. I have also included links to his adventure reel so you can see a bit of Maxi Loao in action. And Anthony's social media links will be down in the show notes as well. Anthony will return as the official premiere of Maxi Loao Drag Super Shiro Nears. And now, next up, as we continue Sweep's period, it'll be the conclusion of my interview with Artie O'Daly and his incredibly funny and sexy Bad Boy series. This is the show that I screwed up and lost part of the conclusion audio, but I have managed to reconstruct the interview, and that will be out next week. Over this coming weekend, I will be concentrating on an older gay guy show and the Joey After Dark YouTube channels. New videos will be out for both of those in just a few days. Meanwhile, this is Joey Hernandez wishing you a beautiful weekend, and I will talk to you all very, very soon. Bye for now, my friends.